This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. You're listening to a special presentation of Wharton Moneyball, live from Atlanta in the SiriusXM stage at the Super Bowl 53 Media Center. Here again, Kate Massey, Adi Weiner, and Eric Bradlow. Welcome back. Welcome back to the fourth and final quarter of our special edition of Wharton Moneyball. Coming to you from Radio Row in Atlanta, down here at the convention center right next to Mercedes-Benz Stadium. A couple days, a few days, three days in advance of Super Bowl. Kate Massey down here with Eric Bradlow and Audie Weiner. We're missing Shane Jensen, by the way. We had Shane here two years ago. Shane's our uh, fourth colleague, and he's out doing Shane things. He had to teach today, actually. He had to sit, he had to he sit had this a, one out. A PhD class, I think. And Eric's going to run back first thing tomorrow to do some teaching. So that's still going on. But we're here doing our show. We've been down here for about an hour and a half talking to a few guests. We've got about a half an hour to go. Coming up in this segment, we're delighted to have Alex Anthopoulos join us. Alex is the EVP and general manager of the Atlanta Braves. Local team, local baseball team here. They've done a few things. Alex has just wrapped up his first year after previously working with the Dodgers, and before that, he was maybe the youngest GM ever at 32 when he was in that role with the Toronto Blue Jays. But, Alex, we appreciate you stepping out of your normal day and joining us. Glad to be on. Thanks for, thanks for joining, Alex. Appreciate it. What's, what's the rhythm right now in the baseball world? We're, you know, football is all about Super Pitchers Bowl. Pitchers and catchers are reporting in about two <laughs> weeks, I think. How has it yeah. been for you in the, last, in the last little stretch? Yeah, it's been, I mean, right now, like, as it's brought up, we have spring training in about two weeks, so um, still a lot of free agents out there, so still monitoring that market, still having conversations, and teams are still engaged in some trade dialogue. Um, and at the same time, before spring training, normally you get trying to work on some things in terms of um, staffing, infrastructure. We just had um, you know, some meetings with our amateur scouting department because they're, they're basically... Um, have gotten started getting ready for the amateur draft in June, and we just wanted to get uh, get together as as a group. So, spent the day doing that. But um, really, at this point, it's a lot of tying up loose ends uh, more than anything else before we head off to spring training. Alex, how how much of the restructuring and putting into place what you want to put into place can you do in that first season? And how much do you still have to do when you roll out of that first season and you've got? You know, do you feel like it's in place, or is that an ongoing process? How much of it are you still kind of? I'm still the new guy, still changing things up right now. Yeah, I think it's an ongoing process. I think one thing is you have to be careful. You don't want to make change for the sake of change. So, you know, there's a lot of really good things that are already in place. A lot of great work was done before I even got here. So, um, I wasn't going to look to come in and make change just because, you know, I was in the position and I just got the job. So. It was my, you know, I didn't think anyone needed to adjust to me. I needed to adjust to them. Um, and, you know, where I thought maybe we, we can add some things or tweak some things, great. But it was my, I viewed it as I was just here to learn the organization, to learn everybody that was here, uh, try to make some decisions on is everybody in the right role? Are they happy doing what they're doing? Um, and that was really it. So the bulk of the work was staffing, infrastructure, um, you know, m- making sure we had the right setup and so on, but you're not going to do it all in over. In, you're not going to do it all overnight, and it's a gradual thing. And the priority is always the big league team. Um, yep. But at the same time, you know, there's other departments that we're going to work on, and you're not right. going to really tweak them all in one one year. But 
slowly but surely. I think we're in a much better position as an organization today than we were when I first started. Alex, I can imagine that you approached the general manager position a little differently this time than the first time out when you were, you were such a young guy and it was your first time in the job. Can you give us an example of something you're going about differently this time because of your experience since then? Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, can't replicate experience um, and really can't replicate haven't had the opportunity to make some, some mistakes. So, you know, everyone's always said it, it's a cliche, but that's the greatest learning tool that you can have. So, just like anything, you learn to delegate more. Um, you work in a much more intelligent manner. You manage time a lot more. Uh, and I think I've just learned to be more more patient overall and you don't concern yourself as much with with the noise, I guess is probably the best way to put it, outside factors and so on. Um, you know, you put pressure on yourself no matter what as a competitor, but I don't feel pressure from a media standpoint, fan base standpoint. Um, I think you just become very comfortable in your own skin and you do what you feel is right and you know is right. Um, and, and ultimately, it doesn't mean the decisions are always going to work out. But if you feel like your process is sound and you get things for the right, right reasons, I mean, put your head, put your head on the pillow at night. So um, I don't know that there's one specific thing. I just would think that um, I've just become more patient overall, and I'm not as I, I'm not in, in the same rush. And I realize I have a better sense of the flow of the job and the pace of the job. Yep. So, Alex, this is Adi Weiner. I'm really, uh, you know, we're we're an all-sport show, and this is kind of the doldrums for baseball. We, you know, yet to start spring printing, and we're in the height of Super Bowl um, kind of uh, frenzy here. But we usually like to think a little bit about free agent signings during the offseason, and this has been a slow one. And you guys are, you know, your surprise uh, leaders in the in the National League East. The Nationals were expected to win. They, they did not do well. That's, I want to ask you about free agents in general, why, why, they, why the superstars in particular haven't been signed and what your view is on that. But also think about your, your chief competitor in, in the National League. I'm not thinking about the Phillies. I'm thinking about the Nationals in the East. Is, is the Nationals, would they be better off not signing Harper? Or would, which would you like to see from your perspective? Them, Harper coming back to the Nationals or going to, say, the Phillies or, or outside of your division completely? Yeah, I mean, I just as a general rule, some any great players, we'd rather not have them in the division. And those <laughs> players, guys like Bryce Harper and so on, they make teams better, no matter which teams they are. So, um, you know, it's hard to give a reason why certain guys haven't signed. Normally, elite free agents that are 26, and best players in the game, those are normally long, um, significant contracts that take some time to get done. So. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that every team in baseball would love to have those guys. At the same time, you know, based on past contracts and so on, those players will, you know, will most likely get pretty significant deals. So um, I don't think it's for lack of demand. I think it's obviously two parties being able to come together and everybody agreeing on the value. So it happened last offseason. Hugh Darvish got a big contract. That one took a little bit of time. Keith Arrieta got a big contract. That one got done in March. Um, sometimes these things just take time. But in terms of our division, I'd say all the teams, you know, if you look at the Nat Nationals are one, the Nats, Philadelphia is going to continue to get better. And they've already made a lot of moves to get better. Um, you know, we think we're a better club and we need improvement from our young players. But the one thing, as many as much as people will have their, have their projections and so on, we have no idea who's going to stay healthy. And so some guys will have down years, if you wouldn't expect. And some players will emerge that no one 
expected as well. I mean, every playoff team seems to have a, a feel-good story that comes out of nowhere. So um, it's a long year. It's six months. But I think all four of us right now have a chance to win the division. So, Alex, this is Eric Brown, though. I wanted to ask you, I, I, we've talked about this on our show, Wharton Moneyball, quite often. It's not necessarily that people don't think uh, Machado or Harper, et cetera, deserve whatever the number is per year. It's really the number of years. So how do you think of age curves um, when you're thinking about the Braves? Because this is one of the challenges that, you know, many teams face is that um, players want to get signed until their mid to late 30s. So how do you guys broadly think about age curves? I think it's a combination of things when you're looking at contract length. There's no doubt age is part of it. Um, so you're looking at age curves and so on. So the other component is to put age aside, the longer the deal, more things can happen, irrespective of age. Guys can get hurt. Uh, you just don't know. There's been, there's been a lot of examples of players, you know, they, they blow out a knee, something happens where it's not an injury that, that ends their career, but it impacts their, their, their performance and their ability to play. So, so the longer you to something like that, you know, to guarantee there's obviously more risk regardless of how young how young the player is. So, no doubt, I think the number one factor everyone does take a look at is what years are you tying up the player, what years are you going to have. To look at body types and so on and performance, sedation curves and how other players um, have evolved and performed and put it all together. But you know, when you're talking about really long contracts, no one has the, really, the ability to really project what's going to happen down, down mm-hmm. the road, but it's, in, it's a free market, it's competitive, and ultimately, if you get these deals done, you end up having a significant dollars in that term. So, Alex, uh, one of the things that in my research we've studied is age curves, and, and I can tell you that historically the age peak age for a particular hitter might be around, even a pitcher might be around 30, but it seems anecdotally that in the last five years in particular, five, six years, too short to really get a full trajectory for these players, there's been a huge shift word uh, south. And so my question to you as a so You're saying GM, the peak is now earlier. No, I don't know when it's, if, it's, if it's yet. That's really my question. I don't, the data is uh, yet to really be deterministic. How do you feel as a GM? Do you think that the, the, the contemporary professional Major League Baseball player, his peak is now lower than it used to be? I, I think it's like you said. I think the data is still evolving. There's been certainly a lot of changes to the game. Um, I think from a positional standpoint, uh, it's impacted as well. Center fielders and so on. I mean, they may get to their peak in their late late twenties. And defense is a big part of it. Defense is a big part of the evaluation as well. And we're we're trying to quantify the total worth of the player. It's not just what we think they'll do in the box or what they'll do on the mound. You know, what other aspects do they bring? So. Um, I think most teams would tell you they view it as late 20s, it's only 30. Um, you know, I wouldn't argue with you, but I, I, I would generally agree that I think most teams would tell you peaks are more in that 28, 29 range. Wow. So maybe down a year or two. But It's so interesting because it goes against all those advances in sports science where there were better longevity, better you know, injury prevention, all those kinds of things we think are happening through advanced sports science, but there are other forces apparently going the other direction. I'm surprised. Yeah, I mean, to, I, mean yeah. you know, I mean, I'm surprised to see this. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing it on the field. I feel like, but I also think that you you touched on the idea of defense, which is really a speed and agility deterministic. And I think for baseball players, you, you experience and, and strength would grow into your early 30s, and that compensated. But I think the today's experts, and I think what you what you recognize is those less 
measurable, or at least historically less measurable aspects are become more paramount. I mean, you can really measure how much how much value a, a center fielder brings mm -hmm. and a shortstop brings, and I think that that we see that it's that younger is better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're talking to Alex Anthopoulos. You can, at, yeah, you can look at reaction times, all kinds of things as players get get older, and those are all things as you age. And playing 162 games, you know, very few players play every single game, but the grind of the season, the, the ability to, re to be able to recover, uh, maintain your stamina, strength, and so on, that obviously plays into the performance and impacts it as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're talking to Alex Anthopoulos. He's the executive vice president and general manager for the Atlanta Braves, local Major League Baseball team, of course. He was with L.A. for a few years before, I mean, after GMing Toronto Blue Jays at the young age of 32. He's just finished his first season, kind of a surprising breakout season for the Braves in some sense. Uh, Alex, can you talk to us about analytics in baseball these days? We're, you know, we're mostly an analytics show. We all do analytics both in our research and in our consulting into professional sports. Baseball is generally characterized as being the most advanced. They were certainly the first to kind of dig deeply into it. What, where, what is the frontier for analytics in baseball right now? What are they pushing? What is hard? Where is the next margin that's going to deliver value for teams? Yeah, I don't. I mean, in fairness, I, I probably wouldn't want to get into um, specifics and I guess what my thought is or where I think things are going or where the competitive advantages there are. But and I can tell you, all 30 clubs are very competitive. I think people are adding staff, adding a lot of dollars. There's so much data right now. Uh, the ability to synthesize that data, the ability to make it actionable for the players is really important. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's examples, you know, every every organization will tell you they have big R&D departments and analytics departments, but how are they synthesizing that data? Not everyone will position players the same way defensively. There's advantages mm -hmm. there. Not every team can maybe deliver it to the players to make it actionable and be able to apply it or have have co-coaches and so on. Um, I say just speaking more in general terms, I think um, the, the, the current trend uh, right now is to really have things and information and data infiltrate into the mi into the minor leagues and player development. I mean, it's really an extension of what's been going on at the big league level, but I think more and more is being done at the minor league level, and I think it is changing uh, the coaches that are being hired, um, the things that teams are starting to focus on and so on. Um, but it is extremely competitive and I think everyone's looking for every edge that they can get, whether it's international scouting, amateur scouting, player development, all areas, it's growing very fast. Alex, can you talk to us at all? Again, we don't want you to reveal anything that, that Atlanta's doing uniquely, but but say motion tracking, for example. It's a it's a it's a technology that has, you know, it's you can imagine in infinite relevance to basketball, hockey, and even football, it seems less relevant to baseball, but I'm guessing that you guys are finding ways to use this. In what, how big a role do you think motion tracking data will play in player evaluation and development going forward in baseball? I think it's playing, it's currently playing and it's going to continue to play a big, a big role. There's a lot that you can do with it. Um, again, how teams decide to apply it, use it, and so on, you know, that's Teams to make those those determinations, um, but I, I certainly think it's being done, um, and I think I think it's going to continue to grow. 
So uh, there's a little bit of something. I've heard a couple of people talk about Acuna, your young player. What, how, what are you looking for him from him this year? Or, or flip it around. Was there anything that you think you did in particular to, to identify him? Um, or what traits led you to pull him up at such a young age? You know, he was a highly touted prospect. And when I joined the organization, everybody talked about him. having a chance to be a great and impactful player. He really uh, ran through the minor leagues in 2017, never stayed at a level for an extended period, uh, but continued to have some success. And you know, even when he started the season off in the minor leagues last year, got off to a really slow start. Finally, when he got hot and started to get going over maybe a 10-day period, he was hit the ball hard, the quality of his at-bats were good, and he was in a good place, we saw, from a mental standpoint, um, just from the, his play. He finally, we felt, was locked in. That was the time to call him up. He was feeling good about himself. And it also coincided with us having a need at the big, big league level. So he came up, uh, did a fantastic job for us the entire year, started out very strongly, then hit a little bit of a lull and made some changes to his swing, uh, which, which ultimately uh, led to him to really flourish the last few months of the year. I would say going into 2019, you know, we're hopeful and optimistic that offensively he can continue to perform the way he did, make strides, and you know, hopefully maintain close to the level of play he had. I think the one area that he still has quite a bit of room to grow is, is defense in the outfield. Uh-huh. He, primarily was a, he primarily was a center fielder his entire career in the minor leagues. We split him to left field a little bit in the, in the minors last year. And it was still some moments where just the nuances of the position, the familiarity of the, the position – that's something that he has the tools and the ability to be a fantastic left fielder. Um, he should be one of the best left fielders, but I think that's going to come in time and with work and rep- repetitions and so on. But that would be the one area that we'll talk to him about spring training that we'd like for him to really uh, spend some time on. Well, it's fun for us to get a little lowdown on one of the most exciting young players in the league, and we'll watch his development with interest going forward. Listen, Alex, we know you're busy. We very much appreciate your taking your time out to, to join us on the show. We wish you the luck. Wish you luck getting the team off on a good start this year. Oh, oh, I want to okay, tell you one you thing. I, sure. I don't want to overpromise, but two years ago, the only other time we've done this show, we were in Houston, and we had on this show in the same segment Jeff Luno. So that bodes well if you believe a sample size of one projects into the future. <laughs> After that interview, you know, yeah. they went on to win the World Series. We're, right. we're just saying. We're just saying now. If that happens, I'll, I'll be glad to come on the following year, too. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> we'll hold you to that. Very good. All right. Alex Anthopoulos, thanks for joining us. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 